Well, I'm guessing we're going to be talking about that announcement on uh, tomorrow morning in the staff meeting. I, in my head, I just see all these little children running around the mall looking for toilet paper. And it's like, oh my word, really, we're going to be that church in the news? It's like, are you kidding me? But it's like, hey, why not? Um, at least it would be relevant, right? And we want to be relevant. Um, so, hey, what about that? There is, in fact, a lot going on um, in the Vineyard Community Church. And I want to thank you. Um, I, you know, those of you that are going to be watching this during the week, I want to thank you um, for your faithful giving, for your faithful investment of time and energy and certainly um, resources as well here because we do have some things going on. And I'm just going to tell you right now, um, and, and we will always be as transparent as you need us to be, um, but your giving has been so steady and so faithful in this church that I, we continue to be thankful to God for who you are. And so I just want to say thank you. But uh, we are going back to Zimbabwe over the next little bit you'll probably see some little clips and things from the church that's over there that we're going to be interacting with. Um, we're going to go back and we're going to see the little children. We're going to feed the little children. We want to talk to the pastors. Um, we want to gather them together and have um, some, some teaching and training time with them. Um, so we're going to be doing some things. So one of the things that we were attempting to do is we wanted to have two events for the Zimbabwe trip where we would attempt to raise $10,000. And so, you know, that's kind of our goal. Um, and it will still be our goal. If that's something that you feel, you know, comfortable, you want to contribute 10 or 15 or 10 thousand dollars too. Um, that's fine with us, okay? It, it really is. And, and you know, you laugh, uh, but one time um, when I was standing over there and we were 200 people trying to move into the mall, I was stuttering because I hate asking for money. And a man in the back just finally said, how much do you need? <laughs> and I, I said, $68,000. And he said, thank you. And $68,000 came in, not in one check, but it came rolling in and we were able to begin our relationship with the mall and physically move our church here from where it actually started. And so that was a wonderful thing. So there are a lot of things going on. And, and I do anticipate um, having Easter. <laughs> we're going to celebrate it. Um, the other thing is just to kind of be aware if you're ever wondering what it is that we are thinking or what we're doing, I will try to keep everything on Facebook or our website. So if you'll familiarize yourself with those, you know, throughout the week, if you're saying, mm, I wonder if we're going to be having church. Um, I did get a lot of contacts with people saying, hey, are we going to be having church? Yes, we and four or five other of the churches in Madison County are having church this morning, and we're just trying to be careful, that's all. But we know that there are people that need to stay home, and that's good. There are people that want to be here, and that's good as well. Um, at the end of the day, no matter what I say, use your common sense. Use your common sense. And, and remember, I usually end everything with wash your hands, cough into your elbow, and use your common sense. Okay? So that is my answer. Somebody says, did your pastor say, say no, wash your hands, cough into your elbow, use your common sense. That's what we're going to do. Now, here's the trick. Today is the last of our Roman series. So if you've got a Bible, open it up to Romans 14. How on earth do we still have Romans 14, 15, and 16, and I only get one message to deal with that? I only get one place to say, okay, let's wrap this baby up and let's get it going. What does Paul have to say to us? But we are going to attempt to do that. We're going to attempt to wrap up our Roman series, and then uh, next week we're going to begin um, with a series called I Saw Jesus, and then you fill in the blank. And we're going to look at people in the Easter story as we gear up toward 
Easter. But I want to begin uh, in, in our Bible, I want to begin in Romans chapter 14. Um, and we're just going to read verses 1 through 13. Um, and that's going to be our beginning, okay? That's where we're going to begin. So let's, let's look at what Paul has to say to the church in Rome and consequently to us as well. Accept him whose faith is weak without passing judgment on disputable matters. One man's faith allows him to eat everything, but another man whose faith is weak eats only vegetables. The man who eats everything must not look down on him who does not, and the man who does not eat everything must not condemn the one who does. For God has accepted him. Who are you to judge someone else's servant? To his own master he stands or falls, and he will stand for the Lord is to make him stand. One man considers one day more sacred than another. Another man considers every day alike. Each one should be fully convinced in his own mind. He who regards one day as special does so to the Lord. He who eats meat eats to the Lord, for he gives thanks to God, and he who abstains from eating meat does so to the Lord and gives thanks to God. For none of us lives to himself alone, and none of us dies to himself alone alone. If we live, we live to the Lord. And if we die, we die to the Lord. So whether we live or die, we belong to the Lord. For this very reason, Christ died and returned to life so that he might be the Lord of both the dead and the living. You then, why do you judge your brother? Or why do you look down on your brother? For we will all stand before God's judgment seat. It is written, as surely as I live, says the Lord, every knee will bow before me. Every tongue will confess to God. So then, each of us will give an account of himself uh, to God. Therefore, let us stop passing judgment on one another. Instead, make up your not mind not to put a stumbling block or an obstacle into your brother's way. And so, th that's the scripture that I'm beginning with. And as we look at this passage, remember... Paul is writing to a church in Rome. He's writing to a church that he's never met before. He's writing to Christian people that came up out of the Jewish faith. And he's writing to Christian people that have been one from the Roman community to an understanding of who Jesus Christ is, the Messiah. Um, we're, we're anticipating that this book was written sometime around 69 AD. Okay, so uh, a number of years after Janus left, Pastor Janus, excuse me, Jesus left, and Pastor Janus shared with us, Pastor Janus shared shared with us that this letter was written in incredibly tumultuous times. Times of persecution like you and I do not understand. Nobody has come snatched your spouse, impaled them on a stake, dipped them in tar, and stuck them in his own garden so that he could light them on fire and then just sit out there and eat his supper from the light of a burning Christian. Nobody has done that to us yet. That's the persecution that the Bible is talking about when it talks about being persecuted. Now, that does not mean that you and I do not suffer. It does not mean that you and I do not have at least emotional attacks on occasion, that, that the world comes against us and what we stand for. It does not mean that at all. It just means what do we believe about what people are going through. So as Paul is writing this letter to the church in Rome, 
Um, he begins the wind-up, 14, 15 are the wind-up. Um, chapter 16 is kind of like, hey, and don't forget Mary and Bill, and don't forget Bob and Sally, and don't forget, and it's, it's kind of a whole bunch of that, which is still an insight. It still could be a sermon in and of itself, thanking people that give so much to the church. However, we recognize that in 14 and 15, God is laying some groundwork for you and I as Gentiles. And I want to look at a couple of things real quick. The first thing is this. Accept the one who is weak. That's how we began. 14 verse 1. Accept the one who is weak without quarreling. Seriously, God, without quarreling? Can't we have a little bit of quarreling? Can't we have some snarkiness on Facebook? Can't we on social media just get on there? I know you're looking at me saying, he's talking to you, Joe. Okay, I get it. Okay, but you, you take this for yourself. I've already beat myself up with this, okay? Okay, without quarreling. Okay, over disputable matters. Disputable matters. You ever read that? Have you ever read the book of Romans and got to chapter 14 and said, stop arguing. That's what Paul's saying. Stop getting in fights. Stop getting in arguments over disputable matters. And you say, whoa, 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 whoa. There's disputable matters? There's disputable things in the church? Sure there are. There's dispute. You wouldn't be here if you adhered to everything that I adhere to. I don't know how many times you people have said to me, okay, and I can say it that way. You people have said to me, well, I don't believe everything you believe. It's like, okay. <laughs> Clearly there's disputable matters, right? There are things that we are willing to stop and say, this is not a salvation issue. I can handle having a differing opinion on that than you do. You know, um, as we press this thing together, all right, it says, um, except um, the one whose faith is weak. I need you to remember that too. In chapter 14, Paul is specifically talking about people with a, a, a weak or a less mature, I'm not saying immature like the way we say immature, okay, but an immature, a newer, a newer faith. So when you read the rest of chapter 14, you need to read it through the filter of this is a person with an, a less mature or an immature faith. So when we go down through these things and, and, and we, we say, oh, listen, don't put a stumbling block in front of your brother because you'll cause him to sin. Not just a somebody block in front of a brother, somebody who has a weaker faith. Somebody who has a problem with this or that or needs to wrestle with something that would be considered a disputable matter. This means that there are, bo that there are both things that are non-negotiable and things that are negotiable. When you're looking for a church, you know, what's the negotiable things? When you're uh, looking for a church, what are the non-negotiable things? We tell young people that are anticipating like dating and things like that, that when you anticipate dating, there are negotiable items and there are non-negotiable items. There are deal breakers and there are deal makers, okay? And I don't know about some of you guys in here, but as I was considering who it was I was going to marry and spend the rest of my life with, I promise you I had a list. I had a list of deal makers and I had a list of deal breakers. Let me share with you um, what I thought was a negotiable thing in a relationship with a woman that I would anticipate asking to marry me. Must love dogs. This is negotiable, believe it or not. I love my dogs, but that's negotiable, okay? I just got the dog before we discussed it which in and of itself was not a problem. I just made it an inside dog before we discussed it. And then apologized afterwards and said, no, 
If you're okay, I prefer an inside dog. And she was like, well, you're the man. Okay, that goes on my non-negotiable side. I am the man. Okay, we have to agree with that. No. Um, and so uh, having a dog, that becomes a disputable matter in my relationship. Must love muscle cars, specifically the 1969, excuse me, 1967 Ford Mercury Cougar with a 320, uh, uh, 289 and a three-speed, a 302 and an automatic or the XR7. I had all three at one time just because I don't know why I was collecting them. My parents didn't either. Um, but muscle, that's a negotiable item. That's a negotiable item, okay? I'm okay with that, all right? Must let me win board games a lot. I'm not good at board games, okay? When the family gets together, I am the family joke, okay? They bring all their board games in and they say, Papa, you want to play Clue? And what that means is we will set the board up, we will begin to play, one of my children will take notice and say, I think I know who it is, at which point I will kill myself trying to guess on the outside chance that I might just get this, like closing your eyes and throwing a dart at the wall. And they will all laugh because Papa has just killed himself and will now spend the next 40 minutes watching the game. Okay, so that's a negotiable. Must be willing to move away from her birth, uh, place of birth. Negotiable item, okay? Must be able to cook. Negotiable item, believe it or not, okay? Must like to eat out fancy. Negotiable item, I could tell you the story. Must be willing to leave the farm. Negotiable item, okay? It almost, almost was my, my death sentence. Must be outdoorsy, okay? Negotiable item. Non-negotiable items. And listen, when I share my non-negotiable items with you, I just need you to, to don't, I'm not making any judgments on you whatsoever. Do you understand? I need you to do this, okay? Non-honest, non-negotiable items for me. I was raised in a household of, of chain smokers. I cannot handle that personally. So for me personally, I needed to, my wife cannot be a smoker. Must love Jesus and be a born-again Christian. Don't date people who aren't. That's a biblical um, thing from Paul to the church in Corinth. Must love music. I can't go anywhere without singing. I was somewhere this past week and walking through and probably singing, I'm no longer a slave to fear or something, who knows. And, and this man said, hey, I love hearing people singing when they're walking around. We just don't hear that much anymore. And I said, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. Usually I'm with my wife and she bumps me and says, you're singing again. And it's like, oh, okay, sorry, sorry. Non-negotiable, must love music, must be adventurous. Doesn't have to be outside. I mean, we can go to different places around the world, but must be adventurous. Must love to laugh. I like to laugh. Uh, believes that marriage is forever, period, will work it out or die trying. Probably is going to make really beautiful children. That, that's a non-negotiable for me. Okay, when you look at her, and, and guys, I'll just tell you, look at her, look at her mom, look at her siblings, and then just, you know, think about you and just say, you know, you know from my biology class, are we going to make pretty children or not? That, that's a non-negotiable. We have to make beautiful children, okay? So that's, that's wicked important, okay? Um, she's got to be faithful. In a marriage, there has to be faithfulness. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to be faithful. She has to be faithful. She has to be hospitable and outgoing because I love people. I love, love, love people, okay? She has to be encouraging. She has to be positive because life is too short to marry a negative person, okay? Before you get married, 
Okay, and that's, that's the thing with me. Will spend her life allowing me to try to make her feel special. I like opening the door for my wife. My wife can open the door. My wife is perfectly competent to open the car door. She likes when I do it. She, she likes when I try to make her feel special. In New England, we say this is a non-negotiable. She has to be wicked smart. Okay, she's got to be wicked smart, not just smart. She's got to be wicked smart. Okay, well, you know, there we got that thing right there. She has to like to hold my hand. Okay, five love languages, physical touch is mine. I like to hold her hand. It happens when I don't even think about it. Okay, she has to be pretty. Okay, that, that non-negotiable, she has to be pretty. She has to be a good kisser. Uh, never mind, that one's not supposed to be in there. I was supposed to take that one off. Okay, sorry. Oh, sorry. Okay. Um, the truth of the matter is, I kind of won the lottery here. I mean, if, if you want to compare it, that's what I did. She clearly probably had a list, but let's be real. She had to change it to let me in. There was just no doubt about that. She probably X'd some things off and said, all right, we'll, we'll go with it. It'll be all right. Um, and that's okay. There are negotiable and there are non-negotiable things in Scripture. There are. There are things that are salvation issues. There are things that are not salvation issues. We wrestle with those things. And Paul is saying, when people have disputable matters, it's not going to do you any good to get in a fight with them about a disputable matter. Preferences in the church, music styles and types, praise and worship or hymns, like it or not, that is nothing more than a preference. That's all it is. Okay, it's a disputable matter. It really is. Okay, Reformed or Arminian theologies uh, or philosophies of theology. And if you don't know what these are, they are the, you're my favorite people. Okay? There's, there's no reason to squawk about something that's barely 500 years old um, and is not, you know, it's, anyway, it's a disputable matter. Um, designs and structures of the building, leadership styles, um, these things that churches have fought over and split over, but their preference is not priorities, chairs or pews. Well, for centuries, Pastor Joe, God has ordained pews. It's like, oh my word. Do you think they carried them around back in the day and, and put them in the, in the temple when they met together on the Lord's day? They just, no, they sat on the floor. You know, thank you, Jesus, for chairs today, even though I prefer um, pews. There you go. Okay, so that's what we find in the church. Non, uh, things that we cannot, we cannot cave on. The Bible is the word of God. God is a father, our father, and creator. It's, that's non-negotiable with me. There is one God, okay? Jesus Christ, his son, yet God who came among us, Emmanuel, non-negotiable. The Holy Spirit is God, and he is the power of God in all things, non-negotiable. Jesus dying for our sins on the cross, even though he had never committed a sin, non-negotiable. Jesus being resurrected from the dead and walking amongst us on the earth in bodily form, um, three days later, non-negotiable. The gospel of Jesus Christ is built upon the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. And so therefore, we have to understand that dying is not a thing. It's okay. It's, it's bad people don't die and good people live. That's not how it works. Stop and think about it for a second. If Jesus went to prepare a place for us so that where he is, that we could be, then dying is not a bad thing. But we have come into a place where we will spend billions of dollars 
just trying to keep people alive with no quality of life. And we have to begin to ask ourselves very real questions about that. Jesus preparing a place for us so he can come back and get us, non-negotiable. Our own sinful nature, non-negotiable. Salvation by grace through faith, non-negotiable. You cannot earn it, okay? Baptism into the family and the mission of God, non-negotiable. Christ tells us to do this by his example, all right? And then finally, the, the judgments, the great judgment and the white throne judgment, they're very real things and they are coming. Jesus refers to them over and over and over and over again. We recognize that, yes, Jesus is coming back, non-negotiable. He's coming back to get us. At the end of all things, there will be judgment and then there will be the great white throne judgment, non-negotiable. And so we recognize that. The list that Paul has to deal with, because he's writing to a church where he knows there's some problem, as disputable matters, are the difference between Jews and Gentiles. And that's what he's writing about when he writes to the church in Rome. He's talking about people that are trying to make the Gentiles be Jews before they can be Christians. And, and he writes about it to the church in Galatia, if you read the book of Galatians. It's like, you know, don't let anybody circumcise you. Don't do that. He's telling the Gentiles, you do not have to be circumcised in order to be a Christian. And the Jews were saying, no, you have to know Moses. You have to know the law of Moses. You have to get circumcised. And then when you've done all of that, then you can, in fact, choose um, to be a Christian. And it, there was that tension, and Paul had to deal with that. So this is Paul's list of things that are disputable matters. And this is what he lists in the book of Romans in chapter 14. And don't take my word for it. Just go through your Bible and, and realize what he's doing. What are the disputable matters? And they really are things that have split churches. They are things that have caused people to get kicked out of churches. And yet the Scripture says they're disputable matters. And I am more than willing to have you come into my office and discuss this with me. But these are the three things that Paul lists in Romans 14 as disputable matters. First of all, the things that people eat. Romans 14, verse 2. See, the Jews have restrictions on what you can and can't eat. And yet we, as believers, we love straight from Texas barbecue, right? We want to go over there. We want to have a little pork barbecue. I know we can have the brisket. I love the brisket, but sometimes I like a little pork barbecue. And a good Jew, according to the law of Moses, cannot eat pork barbecue. He can have the barbecue part, but he can't have the pork, pork part. And I'm just going to tell you right now, the barbecue part is pretty much useless without the pork part. It just is. But the truth of the matter is you're not allowed to eat it. And so we stop and, and, and they say, and people were judging one another. And when I say judge, I'm condemning them to hell. You're, you're not a believer. You don't know that there's a God. You're worse than an infidel. I saw you eat that pig. Well, Romans didn't have any problem eating pork. They didn't mind. And then become believers. And so people were judging each other. Okay, here's another thing. They would see that a lot of times when people ate meat, the meat would be butchered, and they would say some incantation over it to their God, and then they would hang it up and sell it. And then if you went to the market, and then you ate meat that had been offered to an idol, that's what that phrase means, and then you took it home, people would say, that meat's been offered to an idol. And yet Paul tells us in one of his writings that, listen, eat whatever's set before you because if you've blessed it, you've sanctified it. It's from God. And so Paul's saying, stop judging people for what they eat. And then we have the ongoing, even in our culture today, 
Should we eat meat or should we just eat vegetables? Should we make the vegetables taste like meat even though we're not supposed to eat? You know, it's like, what's that all about? Why do I need it to taste like meat if I'm not supposed to eat the meat? Um, but that being said, I have no rock to throw at vegetarians. I don't. Okay? But Paul says you don't either. Stop it. Okay? Don't do that. He said some people eat meat. He, I mean, he literally lays down the meat eaters and the herbivores, okay? The carnivores and the herbivores. You carnivores, stop throwing rocks at the herbivores that won't eat the meat and, and have a big heart for animals or whatever other reason, dietary restriction. And then he's saying, listen, you herbivores over here, stop throwing rocks at them. I made it. I blessed it. I told them to eat whatever they wanted. It was good. Stop throwing rocks at them. See? And he has to go down through that and do that. Believe it or not, um, and, and this is one that will kind of come against us, um, the Sabbath. He listed the Sabbath. I read it to you. Paul is listing the Sabbath. In, in Romans chapter 14, verse 5 and following, he is literally listing the Sabbath. He says, some of you consider one day, he's speaking of one day in the week, more sacred than all of the other days. And some of you consider every day alike. And when he says that, what he's saying, you're saying that they all are blessed by God. And yet, how long ago was it that we had blue laws in Kentucky? Right? Some of you are like, well, I sure wish that they'd go back to not selling stuff on Sunday. Sure you do, until you leave church on Sunday the first day. Or the 31st time you leave church on Sunday, and you're like, okay, well, it's all good that first week, but now I wish, you know, that they were open so we could go sit down and have dinner. And then you've got to start splitting hairs, right? What's working on the Sabbath and what's... I work on the Sabbath. Actually, I don't work on the Sabbath. I try to goof off on the Sabbath, but this Sunday is what we consider our Sabbath day. Do you know that there's no place in the Bible at all that ever allows the Sabbath to be moved from Saturday to Sunday? No place. So if we're going to keep the, the law and we've got to keep that particular letter of the law, we really need to become Seventh-day Adventists. And we need to worship on Saturday because that's the Sabbath, not Sunday. Sunday's the first day of the week, not the last day of the weekend. It's the first day of the week. And the Scripture says, you know, some of you do this and some of you do that. Stop being hard on each other. The last thing that he says in 1421 is the things we drink. Once again... I'm willing to talk to you. He's talking about alcohol. He's not talking about you who. He's not talking about Nestle Quick or straight milk. He's talking about alcohol. And by alcohol, I do not mean grape juice. There's a big difference in the words that are used. He's not talking about grape juice. He's talking about fermented grape juice or strong grape juice. And some of you have been raised in, in, in churches where if you touch that, you're going to hell. And the truth of the matter is, as, as a society or a culture or a given community of believers gets together and says, this is how we're going to operate, all they're trying to do is protect people, believe it or not. They're trying to help you not become an alcoholic. They just don't know how to do it. And, and we begin to operate out of fear. So we control people. That's the first thing that we do when we, when we begin to operate out of fear. We say, well, if I can control them, then I don't have to worry about them getting hurt. And that's not what we've been called to do. And that's a hard one. 
because that is probably the most abused drug in America today. Three million people, according to the World Health Organization, three million people a year die from uh, alcohol use. That's not Joe Wood. That's the World Health Organization. It says three million people, alcohol. See what I'm saying? So we can choose to be careful about that. And Paul tells us that we need to. Undisputable matters. I'm going the wrong way. He says what we eat, what we drink, those are disputable matters. And look what he says, how are we to handle disputable matters in our relationship to one another? Whether we work on the Sabbath or not, whether we're open on the Sabbath or not, what we eat, meat, vegetables, things that we've asked God's blessing on, but maybe some other pagan has offered it to their God, um, and alcohol. Romans 14, 21 and 22. It is better not to eat meat or drink wine or do anything else that will cause your brother or your sister to fall. I, I believe that. I believe that. But remember, we're talking about new believers. At the beginning of Romans 14, it says now about new believers. That's how it opens up. So all of chapter 14 until we get, and you'll see it in chapter 15. I'm about to wrap this up. Okay, but look what it says. How do we handle this, Lord? So whatever you believe about these three things, keep between yourself and God because they're disputable matters. Stop forcing your opinion on other people. It's a disputable matter. I know, but I don't know. It's a disputable matter. But my dad is an alcoholic. I know. Disputable matter. See? Blessed is the one who does not condemn himself by what he approves. And so he tells us not to force our, ourselves on them. For instance, drinking in and of itself is not a sin. Being drunk, on the other hand, is gross moral failure. Because God has told us over in, in the New Testament, don't be drunk on wine. Don't do it. And sometimes it's just easier to stay away from it. It is. Uh, we don't have to do that. I had a man tell me once after we launched this church that I needed to preach that drinking was a sin. And I went through the scriptures and I said, I can't do that. He said, why not? He said, my dad's an alcoholic and my brother's an alcoholic and you don't understand what this is doing to our country. And I said, yes, I did. My dad's an alcoholic and, and he was uh, alcoholic, incestuous, adulterous. It, it, one, it, 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 anyway, it, it's not, uh, uh, anyway. So that was the situation I was raised in. But I can't preach that it's a sin. I cannot preach that having a beer or having a glass of wine is a sin. I can't because the Bible doesn't say that. You know what he said to me? I don't care what the Bible says. I care that my dad and my brother were alcoholics. Well, now I'm in a quandary because I only care about what the Bible says. See, that's what I've been called to preach. If we're going to move over to cultural relativism, it'll scare you all to death what could happen in here. And that's not where we need to be. We need to do this. But we also have to be very, very careful as a church. We don't allow alcohol at church functions. If you're a small group leader, you know you don't allow. We, don't, we do not allow alcohol at small group functions. We don't have um, church functions on the weekend, and um, we're going to have alcohol there. We don't have um, church functions, and we, we bring trucks in. We're not doing that. I have worked with too many alcoholics over the years. I will walk with somebody who's struggling with alcohol. I will be there at 2 o'clock in the morning when you call me. I will meet with you at the coffee shop to talk it all through. I will be there, be there, be there. But we don't want to be the people that are putting in front of them saying, yeah, but it's cool and we can do it. 
Knock yourself out over there. But what do you think is going to happen if they show up and everybody else is and we don't know that they're alcoholics? We will be the stumbling block that, that Paul talked about. So at church, we're staying away from it and that's how it's going to be, okay? We need to understand our new freedoms in Christ. But at the same time, we've got to be aware of everybody else because yes, we are our brother's keeper. Yes. When somebody says it's not my responsibility, yes, it is. The Bible says, the New Testament says, yes, it is. It is our call to watch out for one another. The second thing that Paul says, and I'm going to wrap this up here, is stop judging one another in these things. Not just don't shove it down their throats. Stop pointing your finger at each other. Stop judging each other. In the book of Galatians, he says, Stand fast, therefore, in the liberty. I'm going King James on you, just because it's the song in my head, how I learned this passage. Stand fast in the liberty wherewith Christ has made us free, and be not entangled again in the yoke of bondage. Okay? Indeed, I, Paul, say to you that if you become circumcised, Christ will profit you nothing. If you're going to try to earn your salvation by obeying the law of Moses, it's not going to profit you anything. And I testify to every man who becomes circumcised that he is a debtor to keep all of the whole law. 613 commandments. You have become estranged from Christ if you go back to Judaism, you who attempt to be justified by the law, and you have fallen away from grace. For we through the Spirit eagerly await for the hope of righteousness by faith. For in Christ Jesus neither circumcision nor uncircumcision avails anything, but faith working itself out through love. For brethren, you have been called unto liberty, only do not use your freedom as an occasion, an opportunity for your flesh to see how close you can get to sin. But by love serve one another. Just stay away from it. For all of the law is fulfilled in, in, in this one word, even this. You will love, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. But if you bite and devour one another, beware lest you are consumed by one another. And Paul tells us that we have an obligation to look out for each other right there. How do we do that? We don't hide our freedoms, but we're very careful about how we express them in other people's presence so that we can help them. There are disputable matters, and those are things that are not supposed to separate us. But Paul says here, but these are also things that we're not supposed to judge one another by. So I just want to ask you before I share this last thing with you, are you living under the grace of God in Christ Jesus or are you still trying to be good enough? Are you still trying to be good enough? Because we believe that the grace of God has fallen upon us through our faith in what Jesus Christ did on Calvary for us. And as a result of that, we have freedom in Christ. But our freedom allows us to be careful when we're around new believers. And if you find yourself going, oh, I don't know, Pastor Joe, back yourself up and tell me if you're a less mature believer. Not how many years you've been going to church. But do you understand your freedom in Christ? It doesn't mean you have to do it. Just because we can doesn't mean we should. Remember that one? Okay. And so we kind of need to be aware of that. And that's one of the things that I want to encourage you uh, to pray about. I do. I've got a couple of more minutes, and I want to share this with you. Oh, hold on. I'm supposed to do this. I no. <laughs> Remember the part I said she has to be faithful? So do I. Okay. Now I don't have a cardigan to put on, but I want to talk to you. I want to talk to you about what's been going on. I want to talk to you about what I see in social media. I want to talk to you about what I see um, in our community. More than that, I want to talk to you about what I see in our world. 
because they're kind of connected to this message. In 1989, the elders of the church I was saved in came and prophetically invited me to enter into the ministry, and I laughed at them. Two years later, I ended up in the ministry, and when I did repent, I chose the joy of this calling, and I anticipated people finding meaning and purpose in life. I wanted to be a pastor because I wanted to help people find meaning and purpose in life. I wanted them to find healing emotionally, physically, and spiritually. And I dreamed of people being fed, people finding love in community and sacrificial love. More than that, finding a cause to die for. The kingdom of God is a cause worth me dying for. And so I will. In ancient Greek religion, I took this right out of history. The god Asclepius was sought for healing in Rome, but there was no ethic or caring for the sick and the dying that this little g god had encouraged. This was uh, in the third century, fourth century in Rome and the Mediterranean theater. There was a horrible plague going on that they think was hemorrhagic fever that came up out of Ethiopia and Africa. Against this backdrop, Christianity was a distinct contrast to the Roman religions. See, the Bible teaches the intrinsic value of every human being, and this is what motivated early Christians to begin caring for the, their ailing. Church leaders followed the biblical admonition to visit the sick. Congregations and communities set up formal practices for care. And as this became common among Christians, they were challenged to care for non-Christians as well. In the third century AD, an epidemic swept across northern Africa, Italy, and the Western Empire, and as many as 5,000 people a day were dying from this disease. And specifically, it says, in Rome. The sick were abandoned in the street and the dead left unburied. In Carthage, the Christians were blamed for the disease and the emperor ordered Christians to sacrifice to their gods to end it. Carthage, Carthage's bishop, his name was Cyprian, encouraged Christian people to care for the sick and the dying. They buried the dead and risked getting sick by taking in the sick. It was not the flu, it was hemorrhagic bleeding out of the eyes, out of the ears, out of the rectum. And they took them into their homes. They were not afraid of dying because God had gone to prepare a place for them and they believed it. They believed it. This was repeated in other times in the early centuries of the church during other epidemics. Christians introduced a new concern and standard of care for the sick. Because of what the church was doing under the, the leadership of the Bishop Cyprian, that, that time became known as Cyprian's Plague. It's the only time a plague has been named after a Christian leader. And it wasn't because he caused it. It was because he was willing to die for it. So my thoughts on the coronavirus as I see them and the problem is that not, I'm, a, I'm not afraid that you're going to die in the midst of it. That's not what I'm afraid of. I'm afraid you're going to forget to live. You're going to get up and spend all of your days worrying if you're going to get the plague and you're going to forget that you've got children that need to be played with. You're going to forget that there's an out of doors. You're going to forget to have fun. You're going to forget to laugh. You're going to forget to walk with God. 
and you're going to end up living in fear. And fear is going to rob you of the joy that Jesus died to give you. That's my concern. I am not afraid to die, and I am not cavalier about the idea of dying. I want to go home. But if I have to stay here, I'm going to be immersed in the mission of Jesus Christ. And I want to encourage us to look for ways that we can help people in the midst of this. I just did a little bit of research. 125,000 children are aborted every single day. 8,493 children starve to death globally every single day. 187 people per day in America died from October 1st of 2019 to February 1st of 2020. 187 people a day, according to the site that I looked up. 123 days, 20-some thousand people died in America of the flu. 1,000, excuse me, 85,564 deaths from diabetes in America. 606,000 cancer deaths. World Health Organization says 3 million people die from alcohol. 3,287 people die in car crashes in America. That's 26 people a second per day. You drove here today, didn't you? Wow. 150,000 people die every day around the world. 100,000 of those are age-related deaths, natural deaths. That's 54,750,000 people a year die. These are real deaths, not what-ifs, not if we don't do something. These are real deaths that are no older than 2019. I share those with you just to say this. We're all going to die. And I'm not saying you've got to jump up and down and celebrate it. I'm saying get comfortable with it. Because dying is no more than walking through that door out there. And we're in the presence of our Lord, who's gone to prepare a place for us. My concern is that you're afraid to die. But Jesus said he came to set us free from the, the fear of dying. Will God take care of my family if I die? Yes. I trust him. Will God take care of my children and my grandchildren? Yes. Will God take care of this congregation? Yes. Will God take care of you? Absolutely. We do not have to be afraid of dying. And if we can get to that place in our heads, then it's going to be okay to live. Because every day we live is a blessing when we recognize we're called to count ourselves dead already. John 10, 10, you've heard me share this with you a couple of times this year already. The enemy comes to steal, kill, and destroy, but I've come that you might have life and have it to its full. I want you to have Parisos life. Vehemently, abundantly exciting and wonderful. Hebrews 2 says, since the children have flesh and blood, he too shared in their humanity so that by his death he might break the power of him who holds the power of death, that is the devil, and free those who all their lives were held in slavery by their fear of death. And before you say, oh, I'm not afraid of dying, it's not what I'm seeing. It's not what I'm hearing. It's, it's the placating statement 
And when we get comfortable with the idea that staying on the planet is not the goal, we can live. That God is going to bring us home. Paul says, no, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth or anything in all of creation will be able to separate us from the love of God as Christ Jesus our Lord. We're going home. We're on our way right now. Ah, this may be a sign that it's going to be soon. What do you want to hear from the Lord when you meet him when the perishable has been clothed with the imperishable you have to die even if the trumpet blows because this body is corrupt you have to put on a new body and the mortal is, is, is transformed in the immortality then the saying that is written will come true death has been swallowed up in victory. Where death is your victory, where death is your sting. The sting of death is sin. The power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God, he gives us victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, my brothers and sisters, stand firm. Let nothing move you and always give yourself fully to the work of the Lord because you know that your labor in the Lord is not in vain. So we die. So what? What about if God does something else and we live and incredibly miraculous things begin to happen because we stop living in fear? We go up and we pray for that person just because and we're not afraid of what they'll think of us. We invite them to church. We're not afraid of what they'll think of us. We invite them to our body Bible study. We're not afraid of what they'll think of us. What if we take the positive side of what if and say God could just just do something incredibly miraculous. I don't know where you find yourself in all of this stuff. And I apologize if I've embarrassed you with my what appears to be cavalier. Wash your hands. Don't stop washing your hands. Up your game. Cough into your elbow. Okay? Be careful how you bump people with your elbow after that. Okay? But goodness sakes, don't buy all the toilet paper. I'm serious. Stop it. Don't buy all the hand sanitizer. Last week, my friend sent one of his trustees from his church to Lowe's, not here, an hour away from here, to get the hand, some hand sanitizer. The trustee said, let me go get some hand sanitizer just to make people feel a little better. He walked into Lowe's and almost bumped into a man with over a hundred containers of hand sanitizer in his cart. There was none on the shelf. He went back to the man and said, look, I'm from a church. I just, can I just buy three of those off of you? And he said, the man cussed me and went away. If you have all the hand sanitizer, then all of those people are going to get coronavirus and they're going to get it on you. You took all the hand sanitizer. Come on. Don't buy all the ramen noodles. College students need ramen noodles to get a good education. Don't buy everything off the shelf. There are old people that do not have food because people my age are buying it all just in case. Just in case what? The end of the world? It's a two-week vacation from school. 
three weeks, probably a month and a half if they close them afterwards. But your neighbor needs to eat just as much as you do. And according to what I read in the scripture, it's your job to feed him. Call your neighbor. They need to know somebody cares. Check up on them, especially older people and people with babies. Call them. Take them food. Go grocery shopping for them. You don't have to pay for it if you can't, but you could do the work for them if they're afraid. Don't live in fear. That's not what Jesus came to do. Don't live in fear. Live in the knowledge that Jesus went to prepare a place for you, and you're not leaving this planet until he says. But you can't stay any longer than when he says. It's not possible. These people are up here to pray for you because let's be honest anxiety is real it is I'm not here to make fun of you anxiety is real and if you would like to be prayed for in the midst of all this today even for anointing then we would like to pray for you okay we would because listen to me when I open up my Bible I still believe I still believe and I will expend my life for the kingdom father as we come before you we thank you and praise you for your word for your promise for your blessing for your joy for the things you're doing in our lives and in our midst god we are i'm not i i i lord i am not any better than anybody else in this community because of my belief system about this thing i just thank you for the peace and i pray that peace on this congregation I just ask and pray that as we stand before you that you forgive us forgive us for our sins and in the midst of that let us know the love of God in Jesus Christ that cleanses us and has gone to prepare a place for us we thank you for this in Jesus name amen as we come to our feet these people are up here to pray for you they want to love on you they want to be here for you whatever it is that you would like prayer for they would love to pray for you this morning. So during this song, you're more than welcome to come up here, come forward.